We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And we're continuing with Khan Delvi's book, The Inseparability of Sharia and Tariqah. And we're now on page Roman numeral XXI, 21, and we're doing bond, nisbah. Nisbah literally means bond or relation. In Tasawwuf, Nisbah refers to the intimate bond that forms between a servant and his creator after a seeker transverses the past path of Tasawwuf. The example of Nisbah, these examples are only to bring the meaning to, of terms closer to our understanding and do not in any way express the reality of these meanings, is like the special bond a mother has for her own child, with her own child. Though she is kind and loving to all ch- children, the love, kindness, and affection she has for her own child, which is born out of the special bond she has with her child, is altogether different. When a seeker achieve, achieves this nisbah, he performs the obligatory, necessary, and sunnah acts with the type of earn, earnestness and energy that is usually reserved for things of a worldly nature, as he seeks nothing but the pleasure of his creator. Okay, so this is a point we've also talked uh, in Inter Islam that uh, one of the foundations uh, is connection, right? Whether we, sp- we speak about salah, uh, connection, or we said that the whole of the tradition you can trace back to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him, which you can trace back to al-Fatiha, which you can trace back to the Basmallah, which you can trace back to the B. And the idea being connection, nisbah. And, and so uh, all this, I think, is very straightforward, that the primary bond you're seeking, the primary connection, is with Allah Ta'ala. And the second paragraph is very important, because it happens primarily by way of fulfilling your fard, your wajib, your sunnah, as well as your nafl. Now, there's a side point here. Uh, fard and wajib, in terms of level of obligation, uh, are both mandatory. right? Um, wajib is called wajib, not fard in the Hanafi school, because other schools say that that which is wajib in the Sunni school is sunnah in our school. Right, in terms of how we interpret it, like Eid prayers. Uh, wajib in the Sunni school, meaning it's as mandatory as Isha, right? Uh, but in the other schools, it's Sunnah. Okay? Uh, but that's the secondary point that we may get to later on in this book. Uh, but the key point, once again, is that you're starting out, you serve Allah according to Allah's terms. So if you bypass the obligations that you have to Allah, uh, it's up to Allah where you go, but you might fool yourself into thinking you have a connection with Allah. Of course, one point we were t- discussing the Khawarij today, we didn't get too much into detail about their behaviors, but one of the teachings about them or their type of people is that when they pray, you're going to feel like your prayers are worthless. Their prayers just seem so, so powerful. Uh, but uh, and, but the uh, Iman goes through them like an arrow goes through a deer. And think about what that means is that when an arrow is going through a deer, it's going in one end, right out the other, and while tearing everything apart in the process. And that's the nature of the iman of, of the khawarij. Right? Uh, but my point is that they seem to be fulfilling the fard, okay? but they have no iman. And so what's also introdu- uh, listed here is that you do it with earnestness and energy, uh, which is usually reserved for things of worldly nature. Right, so this is, we might use terms like khushua and, and presence and all those things. Mm-hmm. But the key point is that the foundation of serving Allah is in obedience to Allah. Yeah. Okay, Suluk. Uh, just a quick yeah. question. So one of the things that I heard before, it's not directly related to this, but when uh, it said, you know, you do things with energy, 
that are usually reserved for mm-hmm. things of worldly nature. It reminds me that of like I was listening to a lecture. It was, it was on the sof as well, and it was basically saying the sheikh was basically saying that like people get to a certain extent where their nafs they change their nafs such that it actually just desires. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't desire the the worldly things. It actually just like desires Allah subhanahu wa taala. So it yeah. becomes a comp- so. Is that like um, how did that work for? Well, one way is when you start to desire salah, right? You can definitely reach a point. Like for a lot of people, salah is either a burden, uh, even though they try to do it, or it's just something that they do. Uh, just because they have to, they don't think much more about it. Uh, but you can reach a point where you desire salah. Like you look forward to doing it. And think about when you get excited for something. Like... Uh, I mean, still to some degree, but not as much when I was younger, or not as much as was the case when I was younger, I would always get so excited when Jummah was coming. When it was the day of Jummah, I get super excited. And this is when I was working full time. And then I get super excited, who's going to be the khatib today, all that stuff, right? And it was like the feeling of Eid. I still have that a little bit today, um, but usually I'm the khatib, so that's probably the reason why I don't look forward to it as much. Allah knows best, may Allah accept all of our efforts. But the, the point being that uh, you can reach something like that in terms of your salah. Where you, where you derive pleasure in doing salah. And you almost get anxious if you're delaying your salah. And so then, by extension, other, other acts of worship, too. And is this upon, like, abandonment of, like, like just uh, totally desiring the things of the dunya? Uh, repeat the question. So what I'm trying to say is, like, because one of the things that the sheikh was saying in the lecture was that um, the heart, at most, it can desire one or two things. Yeah. And so when, if you actually change your, uh, what is it called, your nafs to desire yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it doesn't desire the things of the dunya anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that, that? yeah, very much so. I mean, whatever you spend your time with, um, or whomever you spend your time with, you're going to start developing affinity for that thing or that person, right? So if you start smoking, and you start smoking with a bunch of guys on a regular basis, you're going to start craving it too. Separate from the physiological craving of nicotine, mm-hmm. right? Um, likewise for working out, likewise for eating lunch, and so the same thing can happen here. Uh, that's why it's often much better to, on a regular basis, try to do your salah in jama'ah, especially if it's a number of guys that are doing jama'ah together, like the same guys over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll probably find this feeling growing faster, right? Um, just like if, you know, you four guys were doing something else together or something else, a dunya we together, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, and so you're, it's like you're, you have an arrow or a compass pointing, you know, maybe it was pointing towards making money and the joy that you get every time you get a paycheck and then it shifts towards salah and then shifts within salah towards Allah Ta'ala. Yeah, yeah. Which means by definition it shifts away from other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the method to do that is... Yeah. The starting point is to try to fulfill all of your nuffles, which implies doing all your fard and sunnahs. Oh. And there, there's a teaching attributed to uh, the Prophet, it's a hadith qudsi, which, in, in fact, let's look at it really quickly. Go to, go to um, uh, uh, sunnah.com. And then you'll see 40 hadith nawawi. And I think it's like Hadith number 37. Uh, 
Yeah, hadith number 38. So in English, uh, this is Abu Huraira, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, says that Allah said, Whoever shows enmity to a wali of mine, then I have declared war against him. And my servant does not draw near to me with anything more love to me than the fara'id that I have imposed upon him, obliged upon him. And then my servant continues to draw near to me with the nawafil until I love him. And when I love him, I am his hearing with which he hears, his sight with which he sees, his hand with which he strikes, his foot with which he walks. And if you were to ask uh, something of me, I would surely give it to him. And if you were to seek refuge with me, I would surely give it to him. Right? And so the key is, far than they get you do your nuffles. And nuffles is not just in salah, but that would be the big one, because that's daily. Mm-hmm. It would also include uh, siyam, fasting. It would also include sadaqah, mm-hmm. all those things. But the big one is salah. Okay, continue. <clears throat> Suluk. Suluk is the traversing of, uh, traversing of a path. There are two paths in the sawuf. The path of Suluk and the path of Jad. 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 Oh, Jad. The path of Suluk takes one to, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through spiritual exertions and devotions. Once one becomes steadfast and consistent with his devotions, he attains the nisbah by Allah, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by which the path of Suluk is traversed with ease. The path of Jad means that a person attains the nisbah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without effort or will. Though it is defined as a path in tasawwuf terminology, it is actually a bestowal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a few and few people are chosen for this path. This, the person on the, on the path of Jadh is called um, Majdhub. Uh, Majdhub yeah. is a, in a heightened spiritual state that affects his senses and intellect, by which he may lose his senses and he is often mistaken for an insane person. Yep. Uh, the terms suluk and haqiqah are used interchangeably with the sawuf. The difference between them being that the sawuf is like a vehicle, suluk is the path, and haqiqah is the fruits of this path. None are objectives. The only pa- uh, objective is attainment of ihsan. Yeah. So again, this is pretty straightforward. So uh, we might have mentioned this before, that so many things in our tradition are defined by path. And then that includes the destination, includes the idea of constant movement, mm-hmm. right? And it also includes the idea of an established path. So there's a recipe to get closer to Allah Ta'ala. Okay? And so that's the, that's the path of suluk. And then you have those people who are just gifted with it. And it's, here it says they're taken for an insane person. Another way is someone who is just so full of exhilaration they're out of control. Mm-hmm. Right? Out of control, not in a bad way. You know, to the point that they, don't even need, they barely even need to sleep. And, and so yeah, that's something that Allah Ta'ala will give to some people. Right? And naturally, in terms of our culture and the desire to be superheroes, that one seems to be more appealing. Like, I want to have all the special, you know, powers. But uh, the primary approach is that you put in all the effort. And you develop it, and you develop it, and you develop it. Uh, and, and, yeah. Right. And another way to think about this point about the people of Majdub, that uh, Allah Ta'ala gives different gifts to different people anyway, that are not earned. Right. I think we had a brief conversation one time about firasa. Some people have firasa. Uh, some people will even have insights to the future. Uh, I met a person who could smell some sins on people, and he would describe them as smelling like sewage. Right. And those seem to be in the cases that I'm thinking of things that are not earned that Allah Taala has granted them as gifts. Yeah. So the people that you've seen are they uh, have have you noticed that, like their spiritual state meaning in the sense that like. You see them like just constantly in the members of Allah, or is that just the people I'm speaking of seem like regular people. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and I mean, 
like usually when we think of a Sufi, we think of someone who's like 24-7 in Adhkar, in, in Dhikr. Not necessarily the case, right? Nevertheless, they might be interacting, yet their mind is always on Allah anyway, right? Uh, it's, it's sometimes harder to, to define them from the outside. Yeah. You know? But yeah, Allah Ta'ala gives different gifts. Uh, a friend of mine, his mother, um, I, I don't know how she is now, but throughout much of the time that I've known her, she uh, didn't really have very much connection with the dean, but it seemed like everywhere she went, plants would grow very quickly. Oh. You know, Allah knows best. And, and so, yeah, Allah Ta'ala, he has the authority to give hidayah, guidance to whomever he wills, and so it follows that he has full authority and ability and freedom to even give these other special gifts to whomever he wills. Okay. Then, maqam. A perpetual spiritual state. <coughs> maqam, maqamat. A maqam linguistically means a station. In Tasawf terminology, it is the perpetuating of, spirit, of certain spiritual qualities in the heart through exerci- uh, exer- uh, exertions. Reaching a maqam is another way of saying that the seeker has attained a particular quality. Many times, achieving one maqam is a requirement for the attainment of, for, of another. For example, a seeker cannot reach the maqam of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tawakkul until the maqam of contentment qana, qana'a, yeah. is achieved. Likewise, the maqam of complete obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inaba, can, cannot be established until one has achieved the maqam of repentance, tawbah. Mm-hmm. So, in English, maqam is essentially a station. Uh, I like using the term door, that uh, you can't walk through the door of tawakkul until you have uh, reached it, and you reach it by, by contentment, right? Uh, whichever one. You know, and, and so the key is, imagine there's a whole bunch of doors in front of you. And so all of them are toward uh, getting closer to Allah, but these are different aspects of it. Mm. And it's very, very wide. There might be 40 doors, there might be more. And to get through each door, you have to go through certain efforts. Just like in Jannah, there's eight um, doorways in, right? Like one is for the people of Salah, one is the people of Siam. One is, I think, the people of Sadaqa. One is even the people of Jihad. And there's four other ones. And then uh, Abu Bakr, it's said about him that he's going to walk through all eight doors. Right? But so think about it. For me to be able to walk through the door of Salah on the Day of Judgment in Paradise, what do I then have to do in this life? Right? Likewise for all the other ones. Yeah. Okay. Let's continue. <coughs> Temporal spiritual state. Hal al ahwal. Yeah. That's plural. Oh. These are all the plurals, basically, yeah. Hal, hal in Arabic means a state or condition. In the Sawaf, hal is defined as the state or condition of a seeker after the passing of an involuntary thought or meaning through the heart, or after a sudden and overwhelming feeling, as in euphoria, tarab, tarab or grief, huzn, overtakes the seeker. Ahwal are differentiated from perpetual spiritual states in the temporal spiritual states in that temporal spiritual states are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and are temporary whilst perpetual states are achieved through exertions and are continued. Mm-hmm. So same thing here. <coughs> uh, I mean, a lot of these terms are going to start becoming uh, far too technical, so just keep these uh, uh, open as ideas. Mm-hmm. So another way to think about this is that we're taught that all the sahabas, each of the sahabas is like a different star in the night. Mm-hmm. Okay? And another thing we're taught is the different levels of heaven are like the distance between Earth and like the next star, right? And so think of spiritual states as being kind of like that, right? There's all kinds of different hal, 
you know, Ahwal, and, and you'll have these different states, right? It is not necessary to have these different Hals. Another important point is you will often inherit the Hal of the people you keep company with, right? Hal is very much like the word in Urdu. You know, kya hal hai, right? And so, so from the spiritual perspective, the point being that, you know, um, you influence your friends, your friends influence you, and you will often inherit the hal of your friends, especially the people that you look up to, right? You will often inherit the hal of the people that you revere, and that's why it's very important to be very vigilant about who, you should respect everyone, but who do you desire to be with or to be like? Um, that you should be very militant or vigilant or cautious about. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. Descent of a spiritual name, Wa'arid and Wa'aridat. Wa'arid derives from the root word Warada, which means to arrive at or to come to. In Tasawwuf, Wa'arid is, is the descent of a feeling into the heart from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or an epiphany that manifests realities of something increases and increases one knowledge, uh, one's knowledge of a particular reality. Awarid constrained the heart severely enough to incap- incapacitate or even bring on death. Okay. So another way to frame this is that your experiences in spirituality can be very, very intense. And a way to frame that is think about the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he would receive wahi. He would describe the process of receiving wahi as something very, very heavy upon him. And the one narration is that he's resting on the thigh of someone, and then he's receiving wahi, and that person is feeling the Prophet's head go heavier and heavier to the point that he thinks that his thigh is going to break, right? Or the Prophet is sitting on a camel, and then he receives wahi, and the camel's beginning to shake because of the weight upon him. Uh, or the pro- it would be burning hot, and uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, would have shivers. Not He wasn't sick, right? Um, and so this is, this, is, uh, this is what some of these experiences can be like. They can be very, very heavy, right? And, and they're all real, right? Um, there isn't very much a, a way right now to categorize these in terms of modern thought, because modern thought is usually focused on psychology. A lot of this is the condition of the heart. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's stop right here, and then, shall, then we'll start getting into the introduction, which will give us a, a, de- a bit of detail on the Deobandis. Any last questions or anything? Um, just real quickly, so for, um, like, Wadi yeah. would an example of that be, like, when the Prophet Musa uh, like, like saw when the he passes out? Yeah, is that the same? Uh, uh, perhaps, I don't know how it would be categorized in terms of these things, but it sounds like this, definitely. Yeah. You know, that he has this, he witnesses whatever it means, the light of Allah, yeah. and he passes out. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.